Okay, so welcome again. Uh, for those who have come in or new, obviously my name's Ben, this is James. Uh, um, and w- if you've been with us you'll, for a little while, you'll know that we celebrated 10 years as a church back in January. Um, and as we started the second decade, we've kind of done so with a, a deliberate ploy of looking at, if you want, the, the culture the philosophy, the vibe, if you are trendy, but the youth are out, so we trend, try not to be trendy, but, but just how things are done uh, around here, because, you know, we love being part of the global church, we love being part of the global church family, and what, what differentiates is, is not the values, it's just the little bits of how we do things, and so um, t- uh, two weeks ago, um, we started off Okay, and um, Bill uh, opened up with myself talking about uh, a second chance culture where we talked about failure isn't fatal and whether people have messed up morally or taken a ministry risk that hasn't worked out, we want to help them get back on their feet and go again. So we talked a lot about second chances. Uh, Last week, uh, Rob and Ben Norris talked about the have a go culture where we're always up for trying new things and we know that sometimes they'll work out and sometimes they won't but we want to give people opportunities to use skills and take some responsibility on things. And so as part three, uh, James is going to start us off and I'll finish it, but we're going to be talking about a think the best culture, okay? And basically this is a biggie, in in our relationships, we look for each other's positive qualities and assume good intentions and seek to draw out the best in one another. Do you mean? Uh, And uh, we're going to unpack that over the next sort of 20 minutes or so. Um, So I'm going to hand over to James, who's going to open up and and, uh, sort of start us off on that with some scriptures. So come on up, buddy, and it's all yours. Thank you. (laughs) Is everyone okay today? Yeah. Yeah? Good. Good, good. Well, it's a real privilege to be up here being able to talk to you uh, this morning. Usually I have a guitar in my hand so I can hide behind a mic or something, you know, a bit of wood. But this morning you get the full James experience. So I, I apologise about that in, in advance. Um, today we're going to be basing uh, the, the greatest commandment. Anyone know what that one was? One of the greatest commandments, do you know about it? Love your God with all your heart, spirit and soul, and also one, love your neighbour as yourself. Okay, so we're going to be unpacking this. So uh, it's Mark 12. 28 to 31. We'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll get into business. All right? So, uh, verse 28 goes, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no great commandment greater than these. Lord God, I thank you that we can look at these sorts of things. And it can mean from one day to the next, it can mean something different. You can still impact us from the same bit of scripture just shows that your word is alive. Father, may we just be changed our lives by your living word this morning. May the part of James that is just James fall to the wayside, but may you please work through me, speak and use my the words, Lord God. Amen. So, in this 
in this verse we are commanded, it is a commandment after all, to love. Okay? There's lots of bits in the Bible that says about love. And uh, he commands us to love one another. And that also includes ourselves, by the way. We're supposed to love ourselves, which, hands up, I totally struggle with sometimes. Yeah? It's quite difficult. But let's have a look at this. I mean, this, show, this is shown in the relationships that Jesus had of the people around him. Okay, So we're going to look at the people around him. Who is he was dealing with? Who he had to love? His neighbors. Okay? Uh, so his disciples, his friends, and his followers. Quite a big group. Okay, Lots of different people from different backgrounds. Some were tax collectors. Now these people were despised by people. Really corrupt, generally. And noted as untrustworthy. Some were prostitutes. Shunned by the relig- religious and, and the heathen alike. So it wasn't just the the holy of holy people, it was also other people that found them to be, you know, just not good to be around. You wouldn't associate with them in case that someone saw you. It was all dead at night, very secretive if you were going to go and see a prostitute at that time. It still is the same now, really. You know, it's very shunned. And there's some of her friends who later betrayed him after telling him that they wouldn't ever betray him. Yeah, these are people that were around him at the time. Now, can you really love someone like that, like, like, like the Bible says? Because the Bible says, you know, you've got to love him with all these things. Let's see, it said about uh, with your, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I mean, just getting one of those right is a hard thing. You know, really is. So, We're going to look at another bit of scripture here, which is how I think we need to experience love and how God says to love. Okay, so this one is is, uh, usually used at weddings. You might notice it. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. That's the sort of love that I live for. Now, this is, like I said, this is most, usually you hear it in in a wedding sort of ceremony sort of thing. I had it at my wedding. It's a great, great verse. Great verse. But that's, I think there's a bit more that we can get from this. You know, It's not just uh, about the commitment between two people. It is, but there's more that we can get from it, I believe. So my wife isn't here today, but I did get a permission to talk about her, so don't worry. She will be listening later. I'm not going to end up on the, on the sofa sleeping there, so it's not, <laughs> not too bad a thing going to be going on. Um, now, you may know my, my wife, Holly. She's absolutely wonderful. Is she perfect? No. She did give me permission to say that, by the way. <clears throat> okay, and she would be the first one to actually say that she's not perfect. We all would about ourselves, wouldn't we? Now, Holly treats me really, really well. She's an amazing wife. Okay, so this is a bit gushy bit, okay, guys? Usually happens in my preaches. I like to big up my wife. Um, she brings the best out of me. 
You know, when I first met her, I was a very different person. And through our relationship, God has used her to bring me through to where I am today. I really do believe that. Um, she does things to serve me without expecting anything in return. She just does it out of love. You know, when we were first dating, I remember we were, we sat down and we, we kind of, we were very open with each other. We started saying about what we wanted as a, you know, in our marriage, if we did get married, you know, we talked from how many kids do you want to what's your belief in, you know, tithing and things like that. So everything in between as well, you know, and uh, we always said that if you get in a relationship, you don't get in a relationship to receive stuff. You do it out of love. If you love someone, you just want to serve them. It's the same with Christ with us. I serve up here on the Sunday and behind the scenes and things. Not because, oh, look at me, aren't I good with a guitar and I can kind of sing. It's more the fact that I love God. And it's a response to that love. I can honestly say that I don't see any fault with my wife, Holly. When I look at her, I don't see, oh, she has that issue. Oh, she does this. I know these things, but when I look at her, I don't see that. Who I see is this amazing woman who, who's just, who loves me and accepts me for who I am. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Is that is she, the, the view of perfection is not because, you know, it's not because she is perfect. I know her flaws. I know her faults. But I love her despite those. Just the way that Jesus loves us despite us. I see Holly as my wife and my best friend. That's all I see. So God looks past our sin and sees the person that he loves, the person he created. He also sees the potential that he's put in us as well. Often, if you look in the mirror, you see all your flaws. I do, all the time. Even my head this morning was driving me mad. <laughs> driving me mad. And it doesn't even look that good now. I'm still not happy with it. You know what? Hair, no hair, God loves me. Hair, no hair, Holly loves me. And that's all right with me. Now, I know maybe it's quite a vain thing or whatever, but at the end of the day, it, 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 it affects me. You know, it really does. But knowing that I'm loved overrules this. Yeah? Totally overrules it. Just a bit of James honesty there for you. So, what do we do with this information? So, right, I'm going to ask for a bit of honesty from you guys. I suffer from road rage at times, most days. Who else does? Hands up. Yeah? Thank you for your honesty. I was looking for Ben Norris's hand because he spoke it a couple of while. <laughs> oh, before, yep, and a foot. That's it, good man. Um, <laughs> I usually get a little impatient with people who don't drive how I think they should. Um, either they're going too slow or they're uh, cutting me up. <laughs> I expect them to drive to a standard that I've preconceived and set. That's wrong. And I'll put my hands up and say that. Okay. Um, Holly, my lovely wife, is usually sitting beside me. She often reminds me at least every once every two weeks because it happens that often, I'm not going to lie. Um, that we don't know what's happened to that person in that day. Just because they're driving slowly doesn't mean that they're <coughs> inca 
capable of driving, there might be a very, very good reason why that is. It could be that um, you know they've, they've just got back behind the wheel after a really bad car accident. Would you take it slow? Of course you would. Is the person next to them needing to go to hospital or, or after surgery? They're taking them home. Would you take it slow? Absolutely. When Ben first broke his hip, I gave him a lift once, and I just got my new car, which was the yellow banana mobile out the front. <laughs> and everything in me was like, oh, God, I can get to show it off. Did I? No. I was looking after this man here. I did not put my foot down. I don't think I went over 30 at certain bits, <laughs> to be honest. And people were going past, and like, you know, I was very conscious that I had someone who was injured and in pain, someone that I loved and cared for. I wanted to look after him. I wanted to get him safely from A to B. I was there to serve him. And did I care what other people thought? Heck no. That was the last thing on my mind. I just cared that I wanted to look after him. And he didn't know I was going to say that, so sorry, Ben. Um, <laughs> so we don't know what's happening. Okay? And this is the whole thing of a, a, a think the best culture. We've got to change our minds. Instead of point the finger, oh, you've annoyed me. Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're grating against what I think is right. Instead of that, what we should be thinking is, why are they acting like that? Is there a good reason for that? If there is, Lord, please bless them. Please be with them. Every time I see an ambulance go past, instead of, oh God, I'll get out of the way. No, it's, please God, be with those people. Please be with the skilled hands. Please be with the doctors, the, the paramedics. It's a mindset. You know, this culture that we live in, it teaches us totally the opposite. But I digress. We're called not to judge, but to love in people's weakness. We're going to look a bit about people's weaknesses that were around Jesus now. Okay? When Jesus was getting arrested in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Simon Peter ended up cutting off a, an ear of uh, the high priest's servant. This is in front of the Jesus. This is in front of the cops, technically. They come to arrest Jesus at this point. Imagine, you put yourself in Jesus' shoes here. Okay, You've been walking around with this guy, Simon Peter, who you love deeply, you know everything about him. Your heart breaks for him. There's nothing you can do for him. You're teaching him for all these years, saying, right, love one another. Pray for the sick. You know, live in peace. And when the rubber hits the road, what happens? He just gets a meat cleaver out and bang! Think Jesus would be like, oh, for goodness sake. All that work. just <laughs> Why can't he get it in your head? But no, he doesn't. What does he do? You know, if it was me, I'd be like, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> That's your problem, not mine, mate. But actually, no, let's see what he did. Jesus did things, that, even Jesus did things like, what we would consider anti-social behavior. He, was, he threw tables about, guys. He called people snakes. He drew lines in the sand. He wrote people's sins in the sand and said, right, cast the first stone if you ain't sinned. Come on, if you're, if you're better, let's t- go ahead. He didn't make many friends that way. It's a very hard way to make friends, but he taught, you know, some things he really did that were countercultural. That a lot of people just think, nah, nah, I, I wouldn't do that. But 
He did it in a, because it was righteous. Simon Peter, he did it out of desperation and probably in the wrong motives. So what did Jesus do? Did he scold him? No. Did he beat him up about it? No. He used it as a teaching lesson. He gave him a lesson. He picks the ear up. Heals the guy. Rights the wrong. He, ex- he did it in love. And that's what he expects us to do as well. Still, He still uses him later on as well. And guides him to reach his potential. He doesn't give up on him. No one is a lost cause. We heard that today. And it's so true. No one is a lost cause. Even me. I'm not a lost cause. That changed my life. Really did. So the, te- the culture teaches us in this world, as soon as someone does something against us, you know, we shouldn't forgive them. There's quite a few people I've met that say, oh, I don't forgive people. They get one try and that's it. Imagine living like that. I know we, we come under a different banner, but we're encouraged to love in a different way and, and to forgive, but if you cast judgment that quick, what does it get you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus says, just as Bill said the other week, forgive him. 70 times 7 if you have to. In other words, just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. We all make mistakes. We're all in the same boat. But Jesus still says, forgive, forgive, forgive. If he can forgive us, we can forgive them. Forgiveness is a two-way stream, by the way. It releases you and them. Because if they do something and go off and live their life and they did it in anger, they forget about it. They're not tied by it. But if you hold on to unforgiveness, you're holding on to something that rots inside you and you become affected. It affects you. Just that unforgiveness. It's not worth holding on to, you guys. Give it to God. Forgive them. It doesn't mean that you agree with what they're doing. But what it does mean is that you're willing to say you made a mistake. Your action was not right, but I'm not going to cast judgment on you. That's so different. That's freeing. You feel better. Your life is transformed. So this also applies to us. So um, we need to appreciate the potential that God places in us. Places in us and um, we need to keep forgiving ourselves. Often the most hardest person to forgive is yourself. I know by first hand I've made many mistakes which Ben I'm sure can attribute to and lots of other people here. But we need to forgive ourselves. I make mistakes all the time. Hardest I can forgive other people, fine. As soon as it turns, you point the finger at yourself, it's really difficult. Amen? You need to let yourself be forgiven. Because if you don't forgive yourself, you won't be forgiven by God. It says it. You won't, and it's not, you may not, it's you won't be forgiven. I had some prayer uh, last year, went for some prayer, and they said, are you not forgiving someone? Because I've been talking to them, and they said, you need to forgive forgive them, but then you need to forgive yourself. I was like, I thought I already had. He said, well, do you feel forgiven right now? 
And I said, to be honest, no. He said, well, that's your answer. You need to forgive yourself. Let go of your stuff. Give it to God. Accept your weaknesses. It says in the Bible, when we are weak, he is strong. It's okay to be weak. That's who he came to save. That's exactly who he came to save, guys. Everyone has fallen short of the holiness of God. But his grace is for everyone, willing to receive it, and is sufficient for all. If you love someone, like it says in 1 Corinthians, you will naturally think the best. If you love them with all, all your heart, body, mind, soul, strength, you'll naturally think the best anyway. Just like I do with Holly. You, I naturally think the best of her anyway. Same with my kids. I love them deeply. There's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. Are they perfect? No. Do they annoy the heck out of me sometimes? Yes, absolutely. But I love them. There's nothing. I don't see them as a naughty child. I see them as my child, whom I love so much, awake or asleep. <laughs> so we, we need to put this into practice, really. Um, we need to renew our minds. The Bible says a lot about renewing our minds, making sure that we keep putting our letting the Holy Spirit work through us getting refilled every single day being peacemakers so important going into a, a violent situation or, or, or a frustrating situation with the mindset of I'm going into this as a peacemaker I want to leave this situation as a peacemaker that is godly thinking that's the helmet of salvation. That is literally putting on a mindset of, I am here to be a peacemaker in this situation. Changes your whole, your whole viewpoint. Your viewpoint is very, very important, guys. We all make mistakes, both big and large. The people that we're often angry at, God still loves them. They're his children too. And if we truly understand God's love, then it becomes easy. Acting love. Put yourself in their shoes. Benefit of the doubt. Remember to build people up and not tear them down. Because if you build, every, everyone's building each other up, we can only go up. If we tear each other down, Everyone's going down together. So please put it into practice, guys. I mean, I'm going to be doing it. And when, when I was preparing for this preach, I was getting really challenged at times, where especially driving. I'm doing a lot more driving in my new job. It's not easy. But putting that mindset on is very, very important. Cool. And uh, we just want to kind of practical and land things in there. Um, as James was saying, you know, one of the things that we're not called to do, uh, and I use the phrase a lot, um, apparently, according to people I've checked to, of spiritual top trumps, <laughs> which is basically where I think you try to compare yourself against someone else. Uh, and, and it's just not helpful. Do you mean, you know, and I think I was uh, just Googling and researching and thinking, and uh, I came across an article and it said that, you know, in the first 15 seconds, now whether they get 15 seconds, well, I don't know, that you meet someone new or you enter somewhere, you've already made judgments about them. Yeah? So these are based on preconceived ideas. 
They're, they're, they're the patterns, they're what we've done, they take into account location, appearance, uh, you know, how we've been brought up, our conditioning by the world. Uh, and so I thought, you know, I wonder what you thought the first time you turned up to Pemberley, the first time you came to God Central, because you'd have, as you came in here, and John just reminded me, you know, 11 months ago for some of us, more recently, you know, what did you think? The signage, the car parks, the shops, the welcome, you know, the people you sat next to, were they welcoming? Were they not welcoming? You know, how did it go? Uh, and so I thought, rather than make it really awkward, I'd nick th this article's six main factors they think that affect us when we meet someone. So, here we go. This isn't biblical. This, this, is, uh, this is the times. Uh, but they say number one that affects us is appearance. Okay, so apparently if two people are standing side by side, uh, one's dressed in a suit while the other is wearing a dirty stained t-shirt, uh, our first impressions will be quite different. It's been proved time and time again that we just preconceive and you assume X because of Y. Really easy one. Uh, number, number two, I thought I might do quite well on this one, is smile. Apparently, it's the second most important. Do we smile is the opening question. Uh, do you know what I mean? But apparently, it says something. It's a universal sign of friendliness. You know, if, you, if, you, if those of us who have been abroad, you may not understand the language, but you can generally get the general vibe from someone. Do you know I mean? <laughs> if they're shouting and scowling, uh, just get out of the way. <laughs> if they're smiling, you know, it's just a general welcome, isn't it? Uh, number three we, we, struck me. Number three is handshake. Apparently, ha handshakes are still very common. And apparently, it's something that we use to actually bond and make judgments on. Uh, it made me, made me think a lot, actually, about how we embrace, how we come together. Uh, number four is body language, is whether it's kind of all closed up or whether it's open, whether it's relaxed or stressed, uh, those sort of things. And they say body language has a much bigger impact in the first few seconds than it does when you know someone. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's where you're building those first relationships. Uh, number five, um, I, I want this in big. I, thought, I, I was hoping this would be number one, timeliness. <laughs> Do not be late <laughs> to God central ever again. No, <laughs> but timeliness matters, okay? It's there. I can, I can banter about this. I was chatting with Louisa this week about some stuff, and we were both talking about times. So I was like, it's there. I'm going to get to it. And it's not. I have to have to magic it up. Um, but apparently, it's the one things that go before us that really massively preconceive things. Do you know I mean if you're waiting for a meeting and you're late, etc., it's really real big no-no. And number six uh, kind of rocked me to the core. Apparently, we all have uh, mannerisms, quirky little mannerisms, and we're judged by them. And I was like, I know that because I've watched myself on video here and at school and other places. So, so there's some funniness. But the key question behind those, okay, is what do you see? And as James said, what does Jesus see? Very different, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know I mean? you know, we all have a laugh at some of those mannerisms, but what does Jesus see? You know, and, and linking with Simon Peter, who, who James talks about. You know, the people around him probably saw him as a fisherman. In fact, some of them probably saw him as a hot-headed fisherman. In fact, some of them probably saw him as a hot-headed, big-mouthed fisherman, <laughs> if you read the context about him. He was a large-and-life character. But Jesus saw someone who would be dependable, someone who he could trust, Someone who would endure hardship, would persevere, and would be called the rock upon which he could build his church. That Jesus saw past the initial impression and character to what he, Jesus, uh, sorry, to what Peter could become. 
And uh, there's a quote by a guy called Colin Barron, who was on Terry Virgo, who founded New Frontiers team. And uh, he, he wrote this in a book called Multiplanting, which has helped Ben and I shape this preach series a bit. And what Colin Barron said, which I think is brilliant, is he says, is, while Jesus did not deny the very real flaws that the person had, he did not focus on these flaws, nor did he allow the flaws to define the person. Rather, Jesus saw past the flaws to the person created in God's image, and he enjoyed spending time with that person and had a faith of what they could become. And again, James mentioned, you know, the woman caught in adultery. Do you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> you know many people were caught in the moment and trying to define what had gone on. You know, how often do we still do that, if we're honest? A lot. Do you know what I mean? You know, we label a person. We label them as a bad person or, or a thief or a, a drunkard or a homebreaker or a workaholic or, you know, uh, whatever. You know, Jesus executed grace. He just saw beyond the exterior. Do you know what I mean? You know, beyond the circumstances, gave the second chance, which Bill talked about a couple of weeks ago, and called them to live differently. You know, and with the woman called adultery, he does that to call her to be the person that he would soon die, that she could become. What an amazing God. What an amazing God. You know, think of the, I was trying to think of another story, and I was chatting to the kids, and they've done the Good Samaritan recently in under 11s. And we all know the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, my little Anna was telling me, you know, it's a story about how the Samaritan does good to the outsider. We know that, don't we? You know, the rabbi goes past, the Jew goes past, the Samaritan goes past. But there's another side to this story, isn't there? In that Jesus is addressing racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans were a mixed race, part Assyrian, part Jewish heritage. You know, in, in where the tribes had di- differed and gone apart, you know, these Jews had intermarried. They'd been conquered by the Assyrians. And uh, they were shunned by the Jewish people at the time. You know, there were roads that went round Samaria so you didn't have to walk across it. You know, I won't go into it, I haven't got time. But there was a huge div- divide, a disgust between it. And, and what Jesus is actually challenging there is actually that the Samaritan in the story is making them try and think the best of a Samaritan. You think, you know, our conditioning towards certain people groups, it's like the person that, that, that we most struggle with, which would be different for all 60, 70, 80 of us or whatever, that person that we most struggle with is the one Jesus is using at the centre of the story to say this person's going to bring the kingdom of God in. That's kind of where that's going. So it really is, I think, the best, and I, you know, we've unpacked that in the past. And I don't know where you're at in certain situations, but I do want to close with a challenge in that we see people how God sees them, that we see fellow human beings, Amargo Day, created in the image of God, all races, all social groups. Genesis 1, 27, we all know it. You know, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them tells us mankind, full stop, image of God, that God then called that very good. You may disagree looking at me. Take it up with the Almighty. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) But for those of us, you know, if we've chosen to follow Jesus, we're co-heirs with Christ. James got there. We're all equal in Father God's sight, yeah? We're equally loved. We're equally valued. The gifting different, but we're equally loved, equally valued, that you and I equally loved. Jim, Diane, equally loved. You know, because God is God, and he calls us all differently. 
Do you know that we're all called an equal? You know, Psalm 139, you know, we know it. It's written on the, the, the tea towels, the, the coffee cups, all those moments, isn't it? You know, that, that we're created by God. Yep, created by an earthly mum and dad at some point. But actually God is the one who designed us and called us forth into this world. And he called us into this world to bring forth his kingdom. To replicate him, to worship him, to bring his reign. And, shine. and you've got a part to play in that. I've said it so many times before. And your part might well be different to the person next to you. Don't start trying to do someone else's part. Be free to be who you are called to be. You know, two weeks ago, uh, we got the laughter about kingdom cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah? We haven't ordered the God Central pom-poms yet, but they're not far away. I've just got to convince the trustees. <laughs> but, but I mean it, seriously, that we look at the potential, that we see where people can get to. We use grace to build one another up. You know, that lovely greatest commandment. You know, the most important one says, Jesus, you know, is hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbour as yourself. There's no greater commandment. And yet, so the first is rooted in the second, that that our identity, my identity, is what causes me to struggle with loving Patricia as much as I love myself. Because my worldview always tries to bring in a bit of competition always tries to factor something else in. Really silly example. I, was, I actually got some time. I was watching a bit of the FA Cup the other week. Okay, uh, It was just a general game. I'm not going to go into it too much. Uh, but one of my kids came in and said, who are you cheering on? And Now, Spurs weren't playing. But immediately, I was like, oh, I'm kind of cheering on this team. Why? And in my response, I said, well, I've kind of worked out that if Spurs beat Southampton, that this could be... And I found myself even... Yeah, a big if, Dodd, I know, okay? But we're believing in miracles still. Don't knock me down, okay? But you get it. But I even found myself answering a silly question to my daughter with a rationale about what might happen further down the line. Do you mean? You know, and I think the world operates that way. In work situations, quite often we're bidding against one another. We're employees. You know, you know, the media love it, don't they? The apprentice and programs like that. It's all playing people off against one another. You know? But as Christians, we're called to bring a culture in the church, a kingdom culture, where we think the best of one another. Where we believe that the best that God has, that for, I'll just keep using Patricia, has no impact on me. Because Patricia is Patricia and I'm Ben. And God made us both. We both can resonate. We can both, and as we both resonate, we become more together than apart. And in a moment, we're going to close by singing, uh, and we've gone with video for this one, the, the, the song, I Am a Child of God. Do you mean? And the reason we're going to do that, and we're going to bring communion, and if you're in good standing, visiting, know Jesus, please come and feast, is that we want to get our identities firmly rooted in him. Because the more rooted we are in Jesus, the more free we are to encourage one another. And then the more free the trustees are to release the God's central pom-poms. <laughs> okay? But we want to, seriously, you know, you get where I'm coming from. That We want to know that, that all our insecurities, all the things that I struggle with, you struggle with, yeah? Jesus is, is greater than all of those. And we need to be able to bring those to him as we take communion. And it's not good, and continually bring them to him. That, that we can accept who we are, beautifully made. And therefore our brothers and sisters in Christ, beautifully made with different things.
And the final bit I just want to throw out there was a little provocation uh, that came from a, a chat this week. And um, I was chatting with someone and they were saying, they were talking about Zephaniah 3.17, which again we've mentioned. And it, you know, Zephaniah 3.17, if you don't know, it says, The Lord your God is in the midst, in, in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Yeah? He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt you with a loud singing. And my challenge is, that's in your Bible and it's in mine. So we can both read it at the same time. Who's it written to? Us, the people of God. So, so the, the fact is that we can both rejoice that God delights over all of us at the same time because it's in your Bible and mine. That you could be reading it, Jim could be reading it, Dan could be reading it. doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a truth. So, so it just, I, I was just like, God, you're so good that we can all, plural, come before you and enjoy you. So I uh, think the best culture, huge for us, is that we look for the positive qualities and we assume good intentions and seek to draw the best out of one another. And so I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to take communion. And at the end of it, I've just got uh, three little applications for you to take away, little challenges to do this week. Because you know I like a little challenge at the end of a Sunday. So we're going to enjoy God. We're going to worship uh, him. We're going to come and take communion if you're happy. If you're still exploring Jesus or here just visiting, just take a moment. Just chill if you don't want to. Uh, chat with the person around you. Um, but we just want to enjoy God. And then we'll come back with some challenges in a minute. So hopefully we can kill the lights and roll the track. Yeah, Father God, thank you that we can call you father and father i pray that you would impart to each of us here a, a fuller understanding of being a child of yours lord that our identities would be rooted in you at a deeper level as we go forward father we thank you that there is room for every single one of us <laughs> that we are all welcomed in, that we are all danced and delighted over. Oh, God, Lord, help us to encourage one another to be more together than we are apart for your glory. We ask that in the beautiful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. As you sit down, turn and look at the person next to you and say, I am a child of God. Mm. Very obedient people. We're getting better. We're getting better. Okay, I promised, uh, love being with you, but I promised three little applications because one of the things that as a preach team we're trying to do is give applications. And so applications for this time, okay, are basically, they'll come up on the screen in a sec, but find someone to encourage today before you leave. Find someone to text to encourage them and then pray to God throughout the week to make you a kingdom encourager for the glory of his name. Up for that quick challenge?